This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Boonwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. The land on which I am lucky enough to raise my son always was and always will be Aboriginal land. This episode of Witching Hour is brought to you by New Bub Club, delicious meals for new and time-poor parents. No prep, made from scratch, comfort food when you need it most. Hello and welcome to Witching Hour, the podcast that looks at what's exciting, delighting, intriguing and frustrating us when it comes to making work, work. I'm Lucinda. And I'm Loz, kicking things off with a good news story today. You've got two, Lozzie. I do have two. Or should we, I mean, I almost have three because both of us are really making work, work today. Yes. You're, I mean, you can say what you're doing. Obviously, I don't need I'm to say I'm breastfeeding right this second. Yeah. And she's making a very, it's a, not a good latch. If a lactation consultant could hear it now, they'd be like, sweetie, re, re, readjust there. Um, but I'm breastfeeding and there's just a lot of random shit happening at our house today. First world problems. But Hayden's like, oh, the electrician needs to come in there. And I'm like, fuck off. <laughs> My daughter, Sienna, is dressed head to toe in ballet outfit. She thought she was doing a ballet class today. No idea why, because she doesn't do ballet. And uh, she's oh, watching Luca for the 50th time. So let's hope we get through this episode. Who knows? Oh, you've got a really busy few weeks too. We'll I get do, into that talk later, about. won't we? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. We've got a special episode coming up with Lozzie, but we'll leave we that. Do. We'll leave that as a little bit of a All teaser. Right, a little teaser. So good news story number one. Okay, this is, I feel like many people know this, but I didn't, and it really came to light over Christmas, and I thought this is such a bloody good initiative, particularly for kids, and I'll back it up with the story too. So Victorians can now exchange eligible drink containers for 10 cents. At Torquay over... Christmas, all these little kids, I mean, this is a bit deranged in some way, but all these little kids were collecting predominantly beer cans, but also like <laughs> Coke cans and I was and like, what's wrong with this? It sounds wholesome, but I see. Like our neighbours, not neighbours, but like our van buddies, yeah. um, their kids made 220 bucks in like a You're night. kidding. So that's no, 2,200 cans. Cans, yeah. Jesus. That's, I love that. They went around the park on New Year's Day and like had these oh big, like you know the beach Day. buggies, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they were just like, "Do you have any cans?" And everyone was like, "Oh, fine, like take them." Everyone had five hundred. Deep down, yeah, deep down, I kind of thought to myself, "That's actually a great initiative, particularly for children, just to teach them of like recycling." Yes, and like a bit of hard work. I love exactly. This. We're going to issue that uh, on New Year's Day in a few years when Ray understands the concept. <laughs> yeah. Start picking up things, boy. <laughs> um, the second the second good news story, which you sent me, which is very cute, is about a US couple, Amy and Ben Wright, who are the proud parents of four children. Their two youngest, Bitty and Bo. What a cute name. Bitty, Bitty is the cutest. I initially thought it was Betty, that. but it's Bitty. It's adorable. Were born with Down syndrome. Amy and Ben started a cafe to give meaningful employment to people with disabilities. Biddy and Bo's Coffee now proudly employs over 400 individuals with disabilities in 18 stores across America. Pretty I freaking cool. love that story yeah. so much. It's brilliant. It's really, really nice. Nice way to end the good news segment. Beautiful news today, Lossie. I don't know if you can hear Posey, but she is, she's causing some havoc at my end. She's making some noise. She's no longer I can't the even brand say it. new she's like, newborn. She's, yeah, she's... Although I can yeah. say, I don't think your latch does look right, Dal, because well, she's looking now, real low. <laughs> okay. So let's get into it. 
Today, H&M CEO Helena Helmerson abruptly steps down and it has us thinking about how we keep women in leadership positions. That ballerina farm controversy and whether we deserve to be outraged by another mum's postpartum journey. And mums talking money. After our money-themed episodes a few weeks back, we ask you for your best tips on finances, super and more. Let's go, Lozzie. H&M CEO Helena Helmerson abruptly steps down. She resigned weeks after that advertisement scandal and her response to reporters was, it has been very demanding. Very intriguing comment for me for someone to say that. Normally what happens is when someone resigns, they say, oh, you know, I've had the best time, the most amazing X amount of years. Like rarely do you ever hear someone say they're tired, they're exhausted. Yeah, or at least if they're saying that, it's backed up with the positives as well. Yeah, I found it. I just found it intriguing. So Helena had been with the company for 26 years. Wowzers. I don't think anyone in Generation Z is probably going to uh, last that long. No, that's a long time. And she made her way through a bit of a touchy scandal with H&M. There was that big advertisement featuring children, so like around 12 years old, with the tagline, make those heads turn. And it wasn't perceived very well. Like it gave everyone the ick. Yeah, that is icky. That's the perfect word for it. It's a bit creepy, isn't it? It is a bit creepy. Like, are we trying to get the, that creep that drives past the school and offers the kids lollies? Are we trying to get yeah. his head to turn? It's just a yeah, bit Yeah, probably not. Yeah, uh, so not. That didn't really hit the mark. <laughs> so she copped a lot of heat for that. At the press conference held when she stepped down, she said, I do not have the energy to continue and stated the demanding nature of the job is unsustainable. Again, as I said before, not many people would say that. I would say that probably wasn't written in her media brief when she went to speak to the press. Her internal PR team probably would have briefed her something along the lines of, I've had an enjoyable four years, we've suffered some challenges or we've faced some challenges during that time. And it's time for me to go into a new direction. (laughs) Exactly. Absolutely. There's no way that would have been briefed. So I'm pretty sure that would have been a bit of like a eek moment. Yeah. The reason why I thought this was quite topical is because it's not just H&M that are losing uh, female leader. This is kind of a trend that's starting to occur over the last year. So John Lewis lost their female CEO, Sharon White, Nicola Sturgeon, Jacinta Ardern, obviously big names that everybody knows about. They stepped back, citing the pressures of the job. First of all, I love that these women are being open about their experiences and their reasons for departure. I think that's yes. a step in the right direction. So women are saying the workload is too large. There's too many demands. I would assume that most of these women, in fact, all of them are also mothers. So Helena's a mother of two. And when you look at reports, so the 2023 Lean In report had a couple of interesting stats, which I think add to that pressure. More than half of female employees at the senior manager level and above say that they're responsible for most of their family's household and childcare compared with 13% of men at the same wow. level. So women Fucking we know are taking hell. on a lot more in senior positions. Even in senior management, like I know I know all of this, but still reading that surprises me. You'd think that once you get into senior management, it would be more shared at home. I think yes and no though, because okay, this is going to sound a bit controversial, but if you are the CEO, like Helena, of a huge organisation, let's just say you outsource some stuff. You're like, oh, you know what? The cooking and cleaning, I'm going to pay for someone to do it and help out. She's still organising that. That's so true. It's She's probably not doing as much around the house, but she's still managing it all. Exactly right. Mm. So it still falls innately on the primary caregiver or the female, yeah. 
Yeah, no one's stepping in to take that off her. Her husband's not yeah. going, okay, well, I'll manage that. She's going, I'm not going to do it. And he's agreeing and supporting her, but she still manages the doing of who is doing it. That's right. I think this is sometimes where people get a bit held, like not held up, but when, and then this will come into this ballerina conversation too, ballerina farm conversation, is where people have high incomes and mums not complain, but rightly say, oh, you know, everything still falls on me. Like, oh, you've still got the money to outsource. It's like, yeah, yes. but who manages the outsourcing? Yeah, the mental load's still there. And yes, it might be easier for those people, but they still are probably taking on way more of the mental load than their partner. So they still have a right to say, I would assume it's so. all falling on me. I know yeah. what you mean. I mean, we're not in that camp, but I imagine that if we were. <laughs> Us 1% I mean, is nice over here. <laughs> yeah. But I imagine that like even outsourcing everything, there's someone that's still going to be on top of it. I always think about this like Kim Kardashian. I'm like, she still has to like communicate with people what she needs. I'm not feeling sorry for her. Don't get me wrong. But there'd still be a lot that needs to get done in her day and Beyonce, you know? It's like, true. It's still a lot of communication, a lot of mental gymnastics. None of us are immune to that. Yeah, exactly right. Is it easier than the single mum who's working full time? Yeah, man. Just to a get food on times. the table? Of course it yes. is. But there's still mental gymnastics there. So I yeah. really appreciate that. And I'm really surprised by that stat. I actually am. The second one that I thought was interesting was respondents from this lean-in survey last year said that they also did more than male colleagues at work to support employee well-being and foster diversity and inclusion, resulting in better retention and employee satisfaction. But often efforts in these areas aren't acknowledged in performance reviews. And this one really struck a chord with me because it's so true. Yes. Like everyone wants to retain staff to save the business money so they don't have to spend additional funds on recruitment but it's not acknowledged or recognised as like an indicator for success. It's so just weird. taken as a given thing that women care more and will do more in that sort of care caring role at work. Yeah, but it work. benefits everyone. So like even diversity committees normally headed by a female. Like 100%. But what I'm saying is it's like it's just thought of as a given. So that's why they don't give a fuck because they're like, oh, but you're a caring woman. You, you want to do that. You want to organise the charity lunch that we're having on Thursday and all of that shit. That is such a good point. So it's not just that they're doing more at home. They're probably taking on more emotional labour at work too. Yeah. Well, they're not probably. They are. Yeah, they are. And you sent me something interesting um, on Insta this week too, which I thought I'd put out there too. There was a committee, a Senate committee, oh, am I going to get this right, did some research and found that employees should have a legal right to disconnect after work. I'm so curious to see what happens with this one. The committee found that some employees were being driven to exhaustion from pressure to be available to work outside of their usual hours. A federal Senate committee has recommended legal protection of a person's right to disconnect from work during their personal time. And the committee examined draft laws addressing concerns about employee expectations outside of work hours. In its report to the government, the committee called for clear expectations about contract and availability in workplaces. This included protecting a worker's right to disconnect from work responsibilities after hours on a weekend. They also gave an example that the biggest pressure that they're seeing is coming through teachers, which fascinated me they're saying they're being confronted by parents when they fail to respond outside of class hours I'm actually guilty of that I noticed this the other day so I couldn't get in after I picked up Sienna from kinder so after her hours had finished I couldn't get into the gate while I was there and I was like so frustrated like what's the gate code so after I got home after I put her to bed at like seven o'clock I emailed and was like hi just for tomorrow like I'm clearly dropping her at 8 45 so I'm expecting someone to email me before that what's the gate code I was thinking to myself 
Who am I expecting to answer this? Yeah. Yeah. That's a really interesting one. I have no data to back this up too, but I bet you that more women than men are feeling nervous about getting back to people outside of work hours. I remember a really good male colleague of mine, he just never felt the same pressure that I did. Things didn't stress him out as much. And I've seen that pattern so much in life. So when it comes to work outside of hours or responding to your boss, I would love to see some data on this because I bet you more of the time it's the women feeling bad. Men have been better at setting boundaries because they've had less expected of them over the years. Yeah. And it's the women that I bet this is falling on, which is further adding to this exhaustion we're seeing among female leaders. Yes. And a recommendation by this committee was that employees should be allowed to turn off technology that ties them to work in order to reduce overtime. This could be a really interesting one. Imagine if it was made a law that you were allowed to close your laptop at the end of every day. Like imagine if Helena had this. Imagine if a CEO said, at 7 p.m. every night, you are not responsible to respond. Yeah. That's your cutoff. Do you think that would make you feel more anxious or less? Because I'm one of those people that God, I don't always know. wants to be tapped into what's going on. And I don't think that's a good thing. So I'm trying to picture myself, like if just say there was like some sort of blackout from 6 p.m. till 7 a.m. of all tech to do with your paid work, would that make me anxious? I'm not sure. Do you know what? The other thing I would say is like maybe to send a senior level if you've got a globally dispersed team, so like obviously H&M is a, gro- a global brand, maybe the company should fight for you to have an executive assistant in every like time zone. How the fuck do you turn maybe off from a, global, I don't know. from a global brand like H&M? Like if you are the CEO of a business that big, how do you not get depleted? Well, she did. That's what I'd and like this is why know. she resigned. Exactly. But, but who is not resigning? Who are these people that stay in these jobs? This is half the problem. How do you think we combat this? Because it's becoming a real common thread. We've seen the rise of the female boss. And now, unfortunately, this has become quite a popular thing in the zeitgeist that we're seeing female bosses say this is actually too much alongside all the caregiving that I do at home and at work. What has to give? Where do we go from here? I think there's a couple of things that could happen. I think, number one, leadership is set from the top. So I feel like if you are in a senior position, you need to set the tone. So whether that means... That even the CEO has like a log off time at X, whatever. They have maternity policies in place, have parental leave, and it's actually taken. All of those kind of things do add. I would also say the media has an enormous position to play on this because every time that there's a female in an executive position, there's some white male sitting behind a laptop tearing them down. Yeah. So come on, let's give some credit as opposed to saying how, you know, drab they look or how tired they look or how you know, they're choosing family over work or even with the office scandal, like sitting outside their house taking photos, like, is that necessary? Come on. And the third thing I would say is that we need to stop just focusing on making workplaces better for mothers. It needs to be for fathers too. Yeah, agreed. So Hamish Blake is spearheading this campaign to push for better parental leave for dads. And he cites within this sort of release that went out that a lot of dads are wanting to step up more in caregiving capacities, but they feel quite lonely and that they have nowhere to go to. And a lot of mums might sort of roll their eyes a bit at that to begin with and be like, oh, you have nowhere to go. You have no support. Imagine being us. But we really need support for dads if we want them to step into these roles. So I'm really excited to see where this campaign that he's spearheading with quite a few other prominent dads, where it takes us, because I think supporting dads is a huge part of this. Loz, what is the 
first thought, the very first, don't think about this, please. The very first thought that comes to your mind when I say that a mother at two weeks postpartum flew across the country to enter a beauty pageant. Wild, but kudos to her. So you and I knew very little about Ballerina Farm until like literally the other day. I thought it might have been a cult. It does sound very culty. It and sounds culty. There's eight kids there. Uh, there's there's definitely one. some cult energy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, not saying they are a cult, but there's something a bit culty about it. Anyway, Ballerina Farm is the business and the social media account of Hannah Neeleman. So Hannah Neeleman is a Utah homemaker, a mother of eight, a former Juilliard ballerina and Mrs. America 2023. She has over 15 million followers across Instagram and TikTok who love watching her do all this wholesome homemaking and pretty gruesome stuff too. I'll give it to her. She's pretty crunchy. She is milking those teats of those cows. Oh, God. She's getting out there. For the most part, yeah, maybe I'm saying this a bit proudly, I sort of don't buy into this shit and I don't really read about this stuff. I read other pathetic crap, so if this is your flavour... I love this stuff, so that's where we differ. Yeah, I'm not immune to this stuff at all. But this, it caught my attention. So the New York Times headline that particularly caught my attention said she gave birth two weeks ago, now she's in a beauty pageant. Hannah Neeleman, a Utah homemaker with a huge social media following, goes to Las Vegas newborn in tow, to compete for Mrs. World. It goes on to say, while some of Miss Neeleman's online fans praised her decision to compete, hailing her as a super mum, others questioned whether she was setting an unreasonable standard for other postpartum women, or if it was unwise to take a newborn on an airplane and into a crowded casino. I put this to the pollers of Ready or Not because I was quite interested to see our audience's take on this. It's territory we've never really entered it's a bit more pop culture it's a bit more instagram influencery i've never really been there before so i put up a screenshot to that new york times piece and i wrote tbh which for the uninformed means to be honest <laughs> i knew nothing about ballerina farm before this controversy which i put in inverted commas and know nothing else about her i know a little bit more now i've done my research but I am intrigued to know what you all think. Is she perpetuating unrealistic postpartum expectations or should she be able to do whatever the fuck she wants as a woman who has choice, which is what feminism is all about, right? So yeah, I asked this question purposely that way because I think we can sort of come unstuck with our feminism sometimes in the way we judge other women. So the options to answer this poll were let the mum live, FFS, for those that don't know, that means for fuck's sake. The second <laughs> option was a toxic postpartum message to send TBH. The third option was both things are true. Firstly, what's your answer? What's your personal opinion? Mine is let the let her live. Yeah, it's, if it's not affecting you, let it go. Yeah, FFS. <laughs> Good girl. For fuck's sake. Um, for fuck's sake. Okay, now that we've got your answer, let's look into the stats. What percentage of people do you think agreed with you with let the mum live? Um, 20%. 35%. Okay. So that's, that's just good. over a third. Humbling, yeah. What about the toxic postpartum message to send? What percentage of people do you think voted that? Low, maybe 20. Ma mainly because I think most people would think it's a bit of both. Yes. So 7% only for that one, which left 57%. That surprises me. Yeah, mm. for both things are true. I knew both things are true would most likely be the most common, but I must admit I thought there'd be more people with the toxic postpartum message to send being their vote. I 
think I started out feeling a little bit triggered. Maybe it's because I'm postpartum. Yes. And I quickly realized that said more about me than it does about her. Everybody is different. It's her eighth child and her priorities are different to mine. If she wants to go do a pageant, even if it means that her postpartum recovery is a little bit worse down the track, that's her bloody decision to make. It's her body. It's her choice. So I reckon I started out being a bit like, oh, toxic message to send. And then I ended up being a bit more like, let the mum live. We're not all meant to be the same anyway. And while we're on it, because I feel a bit icky even talking about another woman, to be honest, if someone shares their life publicly, does that give us a right to comment? So the options were, if done respectfully and with nuance, yes. The other option was, I'm not so sure we do, which really I should have said, I'm not so sure it does, but you get the idea. What? No, you answer first. What do you think about that? Do we have a right to comment on someone if they share their life publicly? Yeah, I think we do. So you think if done respectfully and with nuance, obviously not bashing someone, but we have a right to add our opinion. Absolutely. But I also think that if you're in a public forum, that's... It's sort of part and parcel. Yeah. And there's some nasty, horrid, sad people out there that are going to say awful things, but that's yeah, part of the gig. That's the reality. So what percentage of people do you think agree with you? Oh, it's got to be high, like 80. 56%, which I was quite surprised oh, about. really? So it's nearly half, half, and nearly, and then about 44% of people said, I'm not so sure it does give us the right to comment. Some people then came into my DMs who I guess were familiar with the brand. So Ballerina Farm is the name of the farm and they sell products. So she's essentially an influencer. Something that I find interesting with people like her is influencing doesn't happen by mistake. It might start off happening by mistake. You know, you might start putting content out and people might really resonate and you might grow a bit of a following. But then from there, you're trying to build that following. You're trying to build a brand. It becomes something that you profit off. The interesting thing with Ballerina Farm that a few people touch on is they think she perpetuates a bit of a trad wife vibe to her. Yep. And so I will share what some people have written in. Ballerina Farm is a brand, not a person. They are selling a product and they are doing so by perpetuating unrealistic ideals. Yes, Hannah is the face of the brand, but I think critiquing the marketing tactics of Ballerina Farm is different to critiquing Hannah as a person. The brand portrays an image of Hannah's life that is far from honest and in no way realistic for the majority of women, but it shows it as if it is completely obtainable and achievable. What's your thought on that? What do you think a privileged person with an Instagram following owes us with being totally open about how their lives run? So, for example, people have critiqued her that they pretend that they don't have babysitters when they must because there's eight kids and that they don't show that they're really wealthy. But they might not. Exactly. We don't know. So what do you think people like Hannah Neeleman owe us in this regard? I think it depends on what your values are as a person and of your brand. So every time you create a brand, usually, even if it's for ballerina farms, there'd be like some form of pillars that like roll up to that brand about what that stands for. So maybe for her, it's like organic, homegrown, uh, family image. Like there's all these kind of things that roll up. A lot of brands are very much like authenticity is like a pillar that might not be hers. And it, yes, sometimes I think to myself, family money, as in 
I mean, I, sadly, I don't have any of that. And, <laughs> and no, I would love to. Money. It'd be nice. Yeah. Um, Nove. Um, <laughs> no, it would be nice to have some. But sometimes I think like family money isn't necessarily your money. So mm. just because his dad, and I don't know the circumstances, but it's something to consider. He, His dad isn't dead. Like mm. he's alive and doing well. We don't know what their relationship is like. Maybe it's Do good, we maybe know that he's alive bad. and doing well? Well, I mean, I would, I assume I so. if he's not, maybe then he has inherited it. But it's a similar thing with Gina Reinhardt, right? So everyone expects that all of her children are high wealth. Well, not necessarily because two of her children took it to court to try to get money. Because they were like, we're not getting paid anything. Mm. We were born into that world. We we want that money. Yeah. So just that's just something that grates me sometimes because I think people have this perception of being there they've got billions of dollars i mean do we know that i think they do because they're doing a lot of renovations on their farm and apparently she's got some thirty thousand dollar oven but i still understand and agree with your expensive oven so i guess let me read yeah it is an expensive oven you'd hope Jeez, it would make some what the stunning fuck are you cooking in there no one is doing so much cooking putting it to use yeah yeah you'd have to so let me reframe the question for you then. If we know that someone is absolutely loaded, what right do we have to understand the mechanics of how their days work just because we follow them on on Instagram? God, this is such a tough one because I hate following people. Like I don't follow people that I don't feel like they are authentic Yeah, for that very reason So I'm like you're a fraud. I don't think we have a right. I think everybody has a right to put whatever image they want of themselves on Instagram. That's what the platform is there for. Yeah. It's for you to craft a brand, to narrate your own story and either you buy into it or you don't. Yeah. And so it's up to us to discern whether that's good for us or not. Agreed. That's what I think social media really lacks is the nuance of we all get triggered by things that don't serve us or that make us feel inadequate in another way. But I'm not sure it's Hannah Neeleman's role just because she has a huge following. Like at the end of the day, people are choosing to follow her. It's not necessarily her role to look after us in that regard, to safeguard us from all of our insecurities. A hundred percent. And 87, 80% of the people that are following her probably resonate with some, if not all, of her ideals or imagery or the way that she presents herself. Like, yeah. would I like to be a better homegrown cook? Fuck yeah. Would I like to grow my own zucchinis and make a zucchini slice? Yes. Can I be fucked? No. Do I admire her for doing that? Sure. But that's one aspect of her life. All this other stuff, maybe not. And to be honest, I probably do judge her for, I guess, flouncing about as though everything's quite easy and beautiful and all of that. But I'm just not going to follow her as as a result. Exactly. Like I think we don't take enough onus on choosing what we follow and how it triggers us. If you don't like that she's entered a beauty pageant two weeks after giving birth, Maybe just don't follow. Also, no one, no one, I mean, everyone says all the time, but like social media is a highlights reel. Yes. She ain't going to put in there what she's giving the pig an anal gland squeeze or whatever the fuck she needs to do there. She actually could be, to be honest. She, she's pretty, she's pretty, uh, she's pretty farmy well, on there. <laughs> wow. Maybe I have a bit more respect for her. <laughs> <laughs> Good on her. I'm going to contradict myself a lot in this conversation as we go through because I did pluck some interesting comments also from that New York Times article that I read. But this person 
part two of their message to me said, it's all a part of a much bigger trad wife thing going on too, which coincidentally has taken off since Roe vs. Wade in the US. <laughs> Lots of thin white women living on farms, spending all day barefoot and pregnant, making sourdough for their nine children, selling a very utopian, idealized lifestyle. I got into a deep hole on TikTok a while ago looking into it all. Fascinating, but also terrifying. See, as soon as I read, read a comment like that, I then do get my back up a bit about what these sorts of role models and mumfluences I know. are perpetuating because it is so problematic and there is a real undertone to the trad wife movement on her account. What does that make you think when you then read, I guess, the opposite of what we just said? Because when I read that, I'm like, I'm, I'm with you. I'm totally with you there. I am. Yeah, I'm with her on that. But I, I think sadly... I mean, we're very lucky to be in a country where I haven't witnessed that yeah. firsthand. So it yeah. feels almost like The Handmaid's Tale, you know? It, it feels does. like a movie. Like it feels like unrealistic. Like how could this actually happen? Yeah. And we're discerning enough to read through that bullshit and, again, not follow it, ignore it. If I was in Utah where there's like a church on every corner or something like that from an out like a outsider's point of view I'd be like this is cooked like people can't think this is for real like yes this has got to be some form of a joke so I think because I'm not in it I can't comment in a way that's well informed because mm. it feels unrealistic I'm like that would never happen like I've never seen it it feels so unrealistic doesn't it so another person said I get the feeling this is actually a really interesting one. I get the feeling people are only saying it's okay because she's otherwise a crunchy mum in inverted commas. She makes all their food, they homestead, she home birthed, et cetera, et cetera. Rightly or wrongly, I think the internet would have more to say if she wasn't doing all the other good mum stuff. Yes. I thought that was a really interesting take. If she was a full-time paid working mother that went off to a beauty pageant at two weeks postpartum, what do you think people would say? Hell, hell, there would be hell. They'd be burning down the homestead. Yeah, yeah, they would be. Absolutely. Because I think you can't, it's so bizarre with motherhood like that. It's like you can't have some things and not others. Yeah. So like for her, that, that person's exactly right. What an interesting comment. You can't be someone that doesn't home cook. I don't know. I think people wrap it. Yes. Like they're like, she's farm and she's organic and she... She's a stay-at-home mum and she cooks all her meals. Right, right. And she gives everything to those kids, so she should go to the pageant. Yeah. It's really interesting. It is. Love that take. So then last person said, and this is a two-parter, I have followed her for a while. She seems very genuine and a very hard worker. She clearly has amazing genes. I did find out, though, that her husband is the heir to the JetBlue airline fortune, so she has billions in her safety net. I think there may be some childcare going on behind the scenes that's kept under wraps and or lots of beauty treatments. Her sister just had her 10th baby in her 40s. Wow, 10th baby. And her mother looks pretty fab at 60, despite having just been a full-time carer for her sick father. Really sad her father actually did just pass away. Um, I think those women are just incredibly lucky with their bodies and their appearance. I don't believe that should be held against her. I don't believe, however, that her husband flew solo with seven kids to Vegas to meet her. He definitely took at least one nanny with him. I think that's an interesting take. It's like, let's not comment on bounce back culture to do with her getting to a beauty pageant at two weeks. But I think we all value transparency when it comes to privilege and what privilege has to do with us getting there. And look, I still do believe in a lot of ways it's her right, what she does and doesn't want to share in terms of privilege and how she made that happen. 
but I do think that's the more interesting conversation. It's not, oh my God, she's still bleeding and her tummy's not flat. Why is she putting herself through that? It's just be honest with us about what it's taking to get there, sweetie. Yeah. Then we'll understand that we don't need to feel like shit. I think the other really interesting point in all of this is that if anyone's been through postpartum, they know what a vulnerable time it can be. So I think we all feel quite almost protective of other mums and it's not a normal time in your life. So if you're ever going to feel like shit about seeing what another mum's doing, that's when it is. It's then. Does that mean the onus is on her to sugarcoat or to downplay what she's doing? I don't think so, but I do understand why it It shouldn't be glorified. Exactly. It shouldn't be sold as the dream. No. So with that in mind, I'm going to read three comments that sort of relate to everything that we've just been talking about. The first one is Hannah can do all this because she has a billionaire father-in-law. It's not actually possible as they likely do not profit off their farming. So off the products that she sort of spruits through her Instagram account. Yeah. If she was more transparent about her ability to live this fantasized dream to life, she'd be less criticized. There's an undertone of a Mormon agenda showcasing patriarchal power and female influence. Again, that's a really fair take. As soon as I read that, I understand the critiquing. Someone else said, Hannah is a beautiful, talented, and dedicated to her craft slash brand. She is also married to the son of airline exec David Neeleman. Both are true at the same time. I think she should be permitted to do her thing in peace without being torn down with the understanding that this is not attainable or possible for most women. So I resonate most with that. I think that last point is just so important. And then just to totally backflip on really how ridiculous this whole conversation is and how much we focus on the wrong things in this world. I want to read this last comment to finish. And meanwhile, in other news, a woman was arrested for having a miscarriage in America. Do better, New York Times. Yeah, amen to that. I think that's just a really interesting way to wrap this all up because sometimes I think we just focus on the wrong things. I think we all need to stay in our lane. Ignore the things that don't serve you. Know that there's some toxic bullshit out there. And if you feel a bit toxic when you look at Hannah's Instagram, maybe give it an unfollow because she ain't your gal. In my eyes, there's nothing better than food when it comes to easing the mental load. Whether it's postpartum, a hectic work schedule, one less thing to think of over a busy period, food is always a great gifting or treat yourself option. Lou, I was gifted new bub club by a friend for my second baby and loved it. And Lou, you've recently received some of their meals for your second baby, Posey. What are your thoughts? We've just finished two weeks of new bub club meals and I am a huge fan. The portion sizes are ridiculously generous, which I remember you saying, Loz, and it is lucky given how hungry I am. I cannot stop eating. The food is seriously good. Some of my favourites have been the Balinese chicken with coconut rice. The flavour was insane. Pumpkin and maple jumbo pasta with creamy tomato sauce and salad, also a 10 out of 10. But the absolute winner was the chicken cacciatore with fresh homemade tagliatelle. Hayes actually said if you were served that at a fancy restaurant, you'd be happy and I couldn't agree more. All meals come in these great reusable containers, which are so handy, and you can choose between fresh or frozen options to either eat now or stock in your freezer. If you're thinking about what to gift a new mum, New Bub Club is a great option. Head to newbubclub.com to gift or purchase homemade meals for your family or someone in need of some postpartum care. Listeners of Witching Hour will receive $20 off the first order using code READY20. 
So, Loz, this week in community, the second most popular poll we've ever put up was to do with our money episodes. So two weeks ago on Witching Hour, we discussed money, and then we had Anna Christina on the podcast, who is a financial educator, writer, podcaster, the author of a book called Kids Ain't Cheap, which I highly recommend. <laughs> I like that title. It's very good, and it's very true. So I actually couldn't believe how popular the finance poll that I put up was. There's quite a few questions here. There's quite a bit to it. So let's get cracking. My first question was, has your relationship to money changed since having children? Has yours? Yes, absolutely. Mine has too. I don't know if my actions have changed as enough or as much as they <laughs> my should My actions have. are worse because I buy so much baby shit. <laughs> the mindset <laughs> has definitely changed. So what percentage of people do you think said 100% it's changed? Oh, 80. 62%. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. What about no? How many people do you think said no? Low, 17. 10% said no, and then 28% said sort of. Yeah. Next question was, money and the cost of living stresses me out. A, constantly. B, every now and then. C, rarely. Constantly. Yeah, same. Constantly. I'm always thinking of subscriptions and cancelling them. It's and not... how can we pull? Yeah, and I'm like, get the bloody spreadsheet out. Freaking buy something on sale. Oh, it's Fuck ridiculous. I know, it's ridiculous. So how many do you think agree with us constantly? 60%. 46%. What about every now and then? Oh, then that's going to be higher. 70. So that was 48%. Fuck, I'm so off. And then rarely was 5%. I thought it would be 0% for rarely. Who is rarely? These people are earning good money and good for them. Nah, I just reckon they're unaware. They're just like I'm not whatever. jealous. Or maybe their um, priorities are different and they live a more wholesome life and they're not in the rat <laughs> race, which I really admire. They're baking on the farm. Yeah, exactly, which we love. So the next question, when it comes to future money planning, I think more about A, my children's future, B, my retirement. My children's future. How many people agree with you? 55%. 71%. So that was pretty high. Far out. And my retirement, therefore, was 29%. Yep. I don't even think about that. Yeah, either do I. It's terrible. It feels like so far away. I know. It's not probably. We're going it's to actually, am I going to yeah. be going, remember when we are 30 talking about money? <laughs> I know. Have you put more effort into budgeting since having children? A, yes. B, I plan to, but not yet. C, no. Mm. I'm B. Your B, your plan to, but not yet. Yeah. I'm probably somewhere between the two, like a, a little bit, but I plan to do more. Yes. So how many people do you think said yes? Oh, I don't reckon that many, like 25%. 58%. I cannot believe how off I am with these guesses. Like I am so irritated at You're myself. You're off today. This is not your day. God. So then what about I plan to, but not yet? What percentage of people fall there? Oh, 55 34, Dalsy, and then I'm going to tell you the last one because we're, we're embarrassing you for this point. Yeah, I'm embarrassed. There's only 8% of people that have not put any effort into budgeting since having children. Who manages the budget in your family? Me or partner? Me. Me. So so 57% said me, 43% yep. said partner. Well, it's kind of even. And two people actually wrote in saying both. And I was like, silly girl, how did I not add a both option? Yeah, fair enough. Um, so that one's a pretty even split, I'd say, 57 to 43. Do who manages it in your household, out of curiosity? It's like pretty even. I feel like we both, like, I'll do the home and contents insurance and 
the phone bill. Yeah. Pay them or do shit that I don't even know of, you know, like pay the council rates and all that random shit. So I'd say we're pretty even. I do everything. Like Ryan, are you kidding? No, I don't do everything. I do everything. As in, I'm happy to do it. As in, I say that as a, I'm proud. Like, I fucking love that. Because I feel like if someone's trying to trick me out of a dollar, I know I see oh, you over their the power. I know. For the job. I am. actually love it. I feel really in control of like where my life is at when I know what my bills are. Like, I'm like, yeah. I always say to Ryan, how can you not know what our mortgage repayments are? How can you not know what our electricity bill is? What yeah. our average water bill is? Like, don't you want to know those things? He's like, not really. I'm like, whoa. Gee, you're managing a lot there, Dalsy. That is so you, though. I can imagine you wanting to take that on. Have to. You, Lucy Green and Michelle Green, are the rare type of people that are really careful with your money but not tight asses at all. No. And it's a rare breed and it's a real skill and I admire it. (laughs) So the next question, I don't know if you heard little baby just squealing there. Do you think much about your retirement and superannuation or do you feel like you're only just able to afford the high cost of living at the moment? So the option A is retirement-centric. Option B is just getting by. Where do you sit? Uh, just getting by. Same. How many people do you think agree with us? Oh, I'll probably be freaking wrong again, but like 71%. Well done, darling. 70%. So proud. Oh, yeah. my. I was actually going to say 70, but I put the one there. Yeah, just... you you thought you'd add some flavor. Oh, it kills me. Yeah. Uh, you did well, though. Come on. You were 1% off. Thanks. And then 37, uh, sorry, 30% of people think more like about it from it. You're like, hey, that does not equal 100. 100. Yeah. I'm not very good at math, but yeah. So then 30% of people said that they are thinking about retirement. My hat goes off to them also. Jeez, that's good. So the next question is, have you changed to a more ethical super fund? How many people do you think said yes, no, or no, but I plan to? So let's start with yes. Okay. 20%. 23%. 32% said yes. Okay. 52% said no. And 16% said no, but I plan to. Okay. So then I asked for some tips. I asked if people did change to a more ethical super fund, where did they go? Now you're doing a lot of asking this week. A lot of asking from you. Bear with me, everyone. I hope this is okay. But people did say they were really excited for the answer. Yeah, I like it. So a few people said Verve Super. Yeah. One person said Aware Super. Someone said uni super, not the best and not the most ethical, but solid and industry run plus excellent returns. Someone said everyone should be with an industry super fund, less on fees and profits for members. And then the last answer here was Australian ethical super. So there's some ideas for anyone looking to make the move, which includes me. Something that's been on my list for a year that I have not done yet for more than a year. It's terrible. So then my next question, some advice now. What else have you done to be more money savvy since having children? Any particularly good money saving hacks? A few people said shop at Aldi. Margaret Clawson would love that. Who's your grandma? She loves Aldi. Okay. I did this for a couple of weeks and I need to be honest on this one. I shopped at Aldi because I was like, you know what? I need to save some money. The average saving, no joke, I would say would be $30 per shop. That's pretty good. Seems pretty good, but you can't get everything. So then I'd have to supplement yeah, it with other things okay. anyway. And I'm like, okay, is that $30? Yeah, that's really interesting. Okay. Someone else said toy libraries, buy swap, sell groups for brands like Country Road and Goldie and Ace. That's a really good one. Yep. Meal prep slash planned shopping. Love that. Know exactly what you're cooking for the whole week. Less waste, more using that entire bag of bloody carrots. Yeah. Or like a huge bunch of celery. I'm like, fuck, how do I use all of that? 
if I meal prepped and meal planned better, that's exactly how I'd use the whole thing. Someone said having no social life, not a hack, just not going out <laughs> with an upside down smile in face. Save. You definitely that is a good money. one. Yeah. Someone else said giving less of a shit about what brands my kids are wearing and saving some money for treating myself instead. Absolutely love that. Like, Go, it. Mom. like it a lot. Don't buy stuff for your baby. You need very little. Marketplace to buy and sell, etc. So similar theme. Online grocery shopping once a week, huge savings and less wastage of food. Someone else said that too. And they said, while you're spending on shipping or delivery fees. You're not getting all the additional shit. Yeah. And you say by not being there, being like, oh, I might just pick up some double-coated Tim Tams, which is what yep. my husband, your cousin does. Yeah. Someone else said, I really need help with this. So please share the responses. <laughs> Someone else said, take note of things you regularly buy and be aware of how much they cost elsewhere. Be aware of member bonuses and small shops you're regularly shopping at. Next question was, what do you wish you did, thought about, or planned before having children? Lozzie, you're an absolute thrifter, as we've just heard. Tell us some of your money-saving tips. Okay, definitely groceries delivered. You absolutely save money from not buying additional shit at the supermarket. I can just picture you getting excited it's and being so much like, easier. I'm going to get that MCO or MCO beauty mascara, which is what I do. Yeah, same with one pass. So I think that gets you like catch of the day, Kmart, et cetera. When you go into Kmart, you'll spend $1,000 on shit that you don't need. So then you can deliver it for free to your house, buy it online. Another hack, which I do every year, is change your health fund, car insurance, any insurance you've got through iSelect or one of those providers that'll do it all. And they do it all for you. They're a bloody legend. And every year you should look at points deals for your credit card so i've flown three times last year off points i booked two trips this year completely off points and every year i look at what credit cards are offering points she's have so much money on it so the next question was what do you wish you did thought about or planned before having children that you'd advise others to do with some hindsight Someone said saving money so that I felt I could enjoy mat leave a little more. I totally get that. As opposed to being like just having enough to get by, it's like being able to do things like go out for a winery lunch with your girlfriends without worrying about money. So I think that's a really good one. Ensure you have maternity leave cover. Discuss with work the possibility of it being included. Someone else said additional contributions to your super from your partner's income while on mat leave. I think that is such a good one. You're doing the job of parenting. They should be contributing to your susha. Super, that is. Your susha. Your susha. That was very bizarre. <laughs> Love it. Another person said how much more difficult it is to move areas with kids, changing childcare, etc. Totally did not think about that. And we need to upsize our house and may not be able to stay in the area. That's really interesting. I would never have thought about that either. Another person, a friend of mine said, when family planning, consider how you will provide for them all for two decades. Embarrassingly, I just thought about how many babies I wanted, not who I could support. Really good take. Another listener wrote in saying, having substantial savings for family planning slash IVF for subsequent rounds and children it's a really good one. It must be so hard. You just save enough to have your first child and then you've got to bloody think about yeah. how you're going to afford another one. That's huge. And lastly, you'll love this one, Loz. Don't feel guilty about maximising your paid leave. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I did that. Yeah, and you gave us that great tip that 
other week about using some of your holiday leave if you want to extend it. Your annual leave. So yeah. looking at all of those options, holiday leave, who am I? Been out of the bloody workforce <laughs> for too long. <laughs> that was a lot of tips. I'm sorry, everyone, but they are the tips. They're good. They're really good. We normally do a tips uh, end of episode section. I'll give just one, which a girlfriend told me that it has actually been so helpful. And it sounds ridiculous, but if you're like me and you're going through a stage where it's really difficult to get your... I'm going to pull you up and I'm going to keep this in. This isn't an edited out thing. Oh God, because I think it? women do this all the time. We say that this sounds silly or this sounds ridiculous. Oh, you're right. I'm going to set you a challenge of not saying that. And anyone listening... Because I reckon about 50% of, of women preface sentences with that. Yeah. So I'm going to challenge everyone listening too to not say that whatever you're saying sounds silly or ridiculous. Keep going. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll rephrase. This isn't silly. It's clever. My friend told me <laughs> this and it has really helped because I went through this stage with Sienna in particular where it was extremely difficult to get her dressed in the morning. And some people said, leave out her clothes the night before. Don't let her choose her clothes. But I, I just couldn't do that because yeah. she's nuts. So... <laughs> My girlfriend, Ange, actually said to me, do you know what, Loz? When she wakes up, get her dressed in her room. And this sounds so basic, but it works. So, like, when she wakes up, I'm like, all right, let's get dressed. It's like the first thing we do. Yeah, before she can really think about it. Yes. <laughs> what I was doing is I was pottering around, like, doing breakfast, whatever. And then after she had her breakfast, I was like, oh, I'll put the TV on, try to get her dressed. And it just became a disaster and I couldn't get out of the house before nine o'clock, which was a nightmare. Um, so now I get a dress in a room, made a huge difference. So if anybody else needs a hack, worked for me. That's a great hack. And I will report back in a few years when I reach that stage. <laughs> you might not. Your children are way more chill than mine. Well, I just, we'll I just know it. We will see. Posey's definitely uh, less settled than Ray, I would say. So watch this space. Oh, she's fiery. She's yeah. got some fire. Fire, Which I we like do it. want in girls, but we just don't want them to use it on their own mummies. Go use it on everyone yeah, true. else. True. Have you got any tips or do you, do you have Do you want to steal anything? your other one from in here? Because I love it. Oh my it. God, absolutely. Go, okay, yeah, great. go. Lozzie had two tips in here and it's something that I read recently and I thought, this is important stuff. And it does look like Posey might look like me because she does look like Ray at the moment, which means she'll look like me. She will. So it makes it even more important. This tip is your child is going to grow up being told how much they look like you, particularly your daughter. Don't stand in the mirror and tear yourself and herself down. Speak kindly to yourself. I love that tip, Lozzie. I think it's a beautiful way to end the show. As always, if you have enjoyed listening to today's episode, please leave us a review, five stars naturally, and follow readyornot.pod on Insta. Otherwise, see you next week. And thanks for following on today. I feel like we've been a little bit all over the show, but you have to just bear with me. Bear with us. I'm three weeks postpartum and Loz has just about as much change in one month happening as can possibly happen in this month, which we will share with you soon. 